Well, it's great to be back with you this morning, and uh, just appreciate you guys being here. And uh, man, you know, a lot of people have been asking me, how did you like your time off? And I said, you know, it's great because I get to come back to work so I can slow down a little bit. Megan worked me like a dog the last few weeks, so I just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, give it up for Megan. And, uh, but... Man, I just I missed you guys. Glad to be back. You know, and, and how about this for Brandy? I, I'm so excited for her this morning and, and that step. And I, I got to say, you know, I, I've been doing this a couple of times because sometimes in different services, we can miss when people make that big decision. So I just want, there's a few people we need to celebrate this morning just in the last couple of weeks that have taken that big step and, and following Jesus. We want to introduce you to Paula Hart, who just a couple of weeks ago, gave, well, a couple of weeks ago gave her life to Christ and was uh, baptized. So that's Paula. And next up is uh, Tara Barnes, who also kind of followed that decision just a couple of weeks ago. And the youngest on the list, but certainly not the least, is Ryan Art. A lot of you guys know Mary Art, that's her son. And he had to be a little bit different. He wanted to do it out in the creek, so it was... Uh, you can't control the temperature that way, but it was, it was awesome. But I uh, want to let you guys know also about an opportunity before I dive in. You know, a lot of people have been asking, uh, what about the stuff going on in eastern Kentucky, and how can we be involved in that? We sent an email out. Now, some of you may not get emails from the church. If you didn't receive any email, please, please make sure you're part of our mailing list so that we can communicate with you. Uh, you can stop by Next Steps and uh, let us know, or else it's, it's on our website. If you go there and kind of dig, you'll, you'll be able to find how to join the mailing list. But, uh, but a lot of people have been asking, what do we do? And so we put out a list uh, this week. We're partnering with Crossroads Missions, and they kind of provided us with a list of things that are needed. And, and uh, then I, I was talking to uh, our contact there, a guy named Tim Anderson, great guy, works for Crossroads. And, uh, and I said, Tim, I know you guys need people to go. Would you, would you rather us try to just get something together real quick and take a couple of people down? Or do you want us to spend a few weeks and kind of organize and try to bring a bigger group, like 20 or 30 people down? What, what would be better? And he says, please come now. Uh, they are desperate. Donations are coming in, which is awesome. They're getting lots of, you know, lots of donations of supplies. But he said, we need people. And so I'm going to be leading the trip tomorrow. And I know that's like super short notice. But uh, hopefully you got that email. But I'm, I'm just going to lead whoever can go. Uh, we're going to be mucking out houses and basically doing anything they tell us to do. Uh, we're going to leave here at 6 a.m. tomorrow morning. And it'll be about a three-hour drive down there. And so we'll get about there about 9 o'clock. And then we, my plan is to be back here by 6 p.m. So it'll be a long day. But uh, they really, really are needed the help. So if you're interested in going, please see me by the end of the day, uh, before you leave. Uh, we've got a little form you need to fill out for Crossroads, and uh, we, can, we can drive you down there. But, uh, but if you'd like to go, please let me know. But hopefully, we'll be able to assess some things down there. And my goal is that in a couple of weeks, we'll return with a, a larger group uh, to help out. But, you know, I, I, uh, today we're, we're closing out this series. We've been in this kind of our summer series, retro summer. It's been a lot of fun for me talking about you know old movies and old music, stuff from the 80s and 90s, and thinking about the things that... I grew up with and that meant a lot to me and I wanted to close out with just a just a good old film it's hard to believe that it's been out for 18 years but back in 1994 Tom Hanks came along and he reminded us all that life is like a box of chocolates 
And you'll never know what you're going to get. Actually, it was his mom that said that, if you remember. But if you've seen the movie, and I, I love the movie Forrest Gump. It's just, it's just kind of a cult classic, I think. But it's one of those that when it's on, if I'm flipping through channels, I always stop and watch it because I really like the film. But the, I love that line, too. There's, life is like a box of chocolates. You'll never know what you're going to get because there is so much uncertainty in life. You never know what's up around the corner. We never know what's going to happen next. And the reality of uncertainty and fear causes even the strongest among us to doubt. Find ourselves having doubts about who God is, if God is there, and if he's there, does he hear me? Is he involved in my life? Now, next week, uh, I'm going to be starting a new series that I've been thinking about for a while now, and of course, the last three weeks, I've really been thinking about it a lot. But we're calling it The Forgotten Ways. And I really don't want you to miss the next series that we're going to be doing. Uh, just really, what were the practices and the spiritual rhythms of followers of Jesus years ago, particularly the New Testament Christians? What were the things that were a part of their life that they did that were really important, that they wouldn't, they wouldn't neglect? That somewhere along the way, we've forgotten or we've watered down, or we have, you know, just sort of maybe out of convenience kind of brushed it to the side. That's what we're going to be looking at, and I think you'll really be challenged by it, and I, I really believe it's got the potential to be life-changing for you as we rediscover what are those core principles, what are those spiritual rhythms that can really help us as followers of Jesus connect to Him and live out our faith in a way that's more than just words, and so that's, in a lot of ways, that series is going to kind of sprout from what we're going to talk about today. And I'm wondering if you would be so bold, if you would, in just a second, if you'd raise your hand, okay? I'm going to ask you a question. Since you have been a follower of Jesus, raise your hand if you have ever struggled with doubts about God. It's a lot of people, a lot of us. Now, I'm not going to ask you if uh, you've never struggled with feelings of doubt, because then I'd have to call you a liar. <laughs> we, we all have been there. We've all felt that. When, when a person has doubts, it is not a sign that they're wrong or that their faith isn't strong enough. It's a sign that they're thinking. We're processing. Sometimes uh, parents freak out. When their kids start pushing back a little bit, when your son or your daughter, who you've raised in church, you said, we were there week after week, I brought them to Sunday school, they were involved in youth group, and then uh, suddenly one day they, they start asking questions, kind of like, you know, how, do, do we really know that the Bible is really the Word of God? And, well, is Jesus really the only way? I mean, is, is there any other way? And we think, oh, no, you know, where did we go wrong? Why would they ask these questions? Why would they have these little doubts, you know? You've done nothing wrong. A child is simply learning how to think and how to think for themselves. These are things that we need to do, but there are times in life, even as mature believers, when things don't make sense and I don't understand how do these things connect. And, and truthfully, when it's in a situation like that with maybe one of your kids and we, we kind of freak out a little bit, oh, what do we do? Where do we go wrong? Maybe the problem is they haven't seen that modeled at home. Do they see you ask those questions? Do they see you wrestle through that, those things and, and, and see how your faith has been built? Do you allow them to see that? 
Because what we do is we kind of cover up and pretend, and then when our kids have questions, we send them off to go find answers on their own, and then we're not happy with the answers that they're getting. And maybe something happened, and, you, you know, we, these happen in life. Sometimes you have to scratch your head and wonder, well, where was God in that moment? This thing happened, and it doesn't make sense, and I don't understand. Or maybe you were praying about something, and God just seemed to be silent. You ever feel like your prayers are just hitting a wall and falling to the floor? Or you lay in bed at night, and you wonder, am I just, am I just talking to the air around me? You know, think about problems in your life, real problems. And all that God would have to do is just speak a word, just one word, and that problem would be resolved. He has the power to do that. He has the ability to fix every situation, but it seems as though God is sitting on his hands, or maybe he's intentionally dragging his feet. Why is he letting me go through this? Maybe he's not paying attention at all. And all of this has caused you to momentarily entertain doubt it's been said i love the quote by max lucado he said when the warm moist air of our expectations collides with the icy cold of god's silence inevitably clouds of doubt begin to form i can identify with that and then when you when you doubt you feel like you're some kind of a a spiritual failure and I just want you to know that if you have ever found yourself in those moments, if you've ever found yourself feeling any, any, any little, you know, entertaining any little thoughts of, of doubt or questioning your faith in Christ, you are not alone. As a matter of fact, after the resurrection, you look at Jesus has been crucified. He's executed by the Roman government. And, and then he's come back to life, and, and he visited all the disciples. He, he visited all of them, and he, even, even doubting Thomas. He had Thomas, who was like, he was the guy that says, I'm not going to believe it. I saw, you know, I saw him die. He's dead. He's gone. And I will not believe that he's risen from the dead unless I can put my fingers in the nail holes in his hands. And then Jesus showed up to him and let him do just that. And, and after all of that, Everything that they had experienced, Jesus was getting ready to go back up into heaven. You look at the end of the book of Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew 28. He, he told the guys, he said, I, you know, I'm getting ready to leave, but I want you to go to this mountain and I'm going to meet you there. And it says in verse 16 that then the 11 disciples, they left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. And, and check out this next, you know, there's some verses that you read and read and read and I know I've read it probably a hundred times but I never noticed that part I don't know why but I never noticed it this week I read this verse I'm like how did I never see that verse 17 says when they saw him they worshiped him but some of them doubted he was right there in front of them and some of them doubted I have thought to myself and probably some of you have too why doesn't God just give me a sign? You know, why wouldn't he just give us proof? You know, if he's there, why not just kind of peek through the clouds and say, you know, peekaboo, hey, it's me, and then put it back together and we'll all know, right? Even if you had proof, you'd still doubt. You'd still doubt. 
That's what the disciples, he's right there. He's resurrected in, in the flesh. He's standing there. And some of them doubted. Now, like some of you, I grew up in church, and there were, there were guys and girls I grew up with, and we all went to church together. We were taught the same lessons, and we had the same you know, teachers and same pastor and same whatever. You know, we, all, we, we went through you know, all the children's ministry and nursery and all the way up. You know. and, and, and some of those guys and girls that I grew up with, some of them are faithfully serving Jesus still to this day, but, but others of them, they, somewhere along the way, they had questions, and they couldn't find answers, and they had hurts. Like many of us do, and, and some of them face some very real spiritual doubts, and some of them have just left the faith altogether. And there's really three big things, I believe. There's three things that cause doubts in our minds, and there's three P's. It's pain, problems, and proof. Pain, problems, and proof. When I hurt, something happened that is unfair, or there's an issue in my life that there's not an easy resolution to, and God seems to to not be cooperating with me or the, the need for evidence, evidence, evidence. If God would just give me a sign, why didn't he just give me a sign? If he's really there, why doesn't he just give me a sign, show up and prove it? And as a result of those three things, people are choosing to walk away from their faith. I was having lunch with a pastor just last week, and uh, he was telling me, you know, through, through the last couple of years and everything that's happened, the world changing and you know, a lot of that kind of stuff. He, he says, I, I'm, I've got a lot of pastor friends who have been friends of mine that have, not only have they left the ministry, but they've lost their faith. So they were leading churches, and now they've stepped away and said, I don't even believe in God anymore. How can that be? I think, as I've you know, spent the last few weeks kind of chewing that over in my own mind. I think for that a lot of us have faced it, particularly I, because I've re- recognized that in our own church. You know, since since the you know the great March of 2020, when things of the world is really a lot different, we see so many people that have left and are gone, and you wonder where, what happened to them. Where are they? What's going on? And they've, in a lot of ways, they have lost their faith. And why? I, th- I think maybe for for many of us, life was so easy and so convenient and we were so wealthy at least on a from a world standpoint it was the first time that we had to come face to face with real issues that we couldn't solve you know right now it was the first time we had to be uncomfortable and understand pain and suffering like people all over the world face every day and the first time we had to really lean into our faith and trust the lord it's interesting to me in the middle of the moment on the mountain Jesus asked the disciples to come up. Hey, come up here. I want to see you. Some of them are doubting. He's getting ready to go back into heaven. They're standing there. They don't know what they believe. What does Jesus say? The very next words, it says in verse 18, he came and told his disciples. He said, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What does he do there? Some of them are all mixed up. They don't know how to feel. They don't know what to do. He, he reminds them who he is. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. And, and, and then he puts them on mission. He says, I want you to go. Go and do these things. Or you're going to teach. You're going to baptize 
folks. You're going you're gonna to lead them. to. You're going to help them to understand what I have taught you. And then he makes them a promise. He says, I'm going to be with you always. I'm never going to leave you. He didn't beat them up for having questions. He just reminds them who he is. He puts them on mission. And he makes them a promise. I'm going to be with you. I'll never leave you. And he does the same for us today. In fact, I would say that doubt is the evidence of my growth. Because as I'm growing in my faith, as I'm growing closer to the Lord, the more questions I have. And they're, and they're not surface questions. They're, they're really deep, and they get to the heart of something that I can't quite understand. One of the main reasons that we question and doubt God, and one of the main reasons that I'm convinced people are leaving their faith and showing no interest in following Jesus is because they have questions that they can't answer. What do I do with this? If God is so good, then why did he allow that? And, and how could there be so much suffering around the world? And why does the Bible say this here, and yet it seems to con contradict itself there? Why is it that I prayed and I prayed and I prayed for my loved one to be healed, and the cancer spread and they died? Why did my parents end up divorcing? Why did my dad say that he loved Jesus so much, and yet he didn't love my mom, but he went and loved other women instead? For many of us, we doubt because there is some type of a wound, there's a hurt, uh, there's something that can't easily be resolved, a question that doesn't have an answer. And oftentimes what happens in those moments is we, we misunderstand God because we think that he's doing one thing when in reality he's doing something else, but we think he's should be doing this, but that's not what he's about. And when tragedy hits, we wonder, why didn't God do this or that? Why, why didn't he do things the way I, I think he should have done it? And the problem is we interpret God in light of our tragedy when we need to do the reverse to that. We don't interpret God through the light of our tragedy. We interpret our tragedy in light of what we know about God. What's he doing in this moment? How is he using this? He promises to be with me always to the end of the age. He, he says, I can work all things together for good for those who love me and those who are called according to my purpose. God is in control. I know that he is for me, not against me. I love the quote. It says, doubt is not the opposite of faith. It's an element of faith. So it means you're processing. You're thinking you're working it out. You're coming to understand. A German poet and Christian once said, faith and doubt go hand in hand. They are, they are complementaries. He who never doubts will never truly believe. I think most of us, were afraid of doubt. We, we believe, and let's, let's be honest, we'll be real for a minute. We live in the absolute heart of the Bible Belt. I mean, you can't throw a stone without hitting a Christian somewhere. I mean, we've all got a little bit of Jesus. We've all got a little bit of church. Even if you haven't been to church since 1982. Yeah, Easter Sunday, 19. But yeah, but you're, you, were, you are a member of a church somewhere. You're in a picture directory or something, you know. Somewhere, somehow, you say, oh yeah, I haven't been. I don't even know. This is the, the test that I always like to do whenever I'm talking to somebody. 
And uh, they'll kind of say, yeah, 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 I go to church. I've been to church. Well, I've been a while. You know, they'll kind of say, it's been a while, but yeah, I go to church. I go to, you know, First, Second Baptist, blah, 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 whatever. So I always say, oh, oh uh, what's, the, what's the pastor's name there? And I know if they've been to church. <laughs> oh, oh, I can't remember. I can't remember. But we've all we've all got a little bit of we've all got a little bit of Jesus, and 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 this is the problem is I think in, in especially in this culture now if you've moved in from some other place and you just happen to land in Louisville, Kentucky, maybe this sounds a little foreign to you, but I believe here we're overchurched. We've been exposed to it for so long, and we've heard it so much, and we've seen so much negative. We've seen so many people who say one thing, and they do another. They're just sort of like, yeah, whatever. It's just the, the power of the gospel just doesn't seem as appealing. We're afraid of doubt. So we, we, we don't say things like, well, I don't know about you know, what God's doing or I don't know what God might be doing because we believe that doubt will weaken our faith. I think that doubt strengthens our faith. I can't tell you how many times I've been having a conversation with somebody. I mean, I'm talking like in crisis scenarios standing at a casket and i'm talking you know of someone who's died unexpectedly way before their time and tragic situation whatever and i'm standing at the head of the casket with a grieving family and and they'll say things like you know this just doesn't make sense at all i don't know why god would allow this and then it's like they it's like they catch themselves and say but but i know we can't think like that we can't ask questions like that we can't, we can't worry about things like that. I can't think about that. And I want to say, yes, you can. Amen. And yes, you should. Maybe that question needs to keep you up for a few nights. And maybe some tears need to flow until the moment that you are driven to your knees and you come before the Lord and you say, God, I don't understand this. Please help me understand this and help me understand you. Why are we afraid of that? Why are we afraid of having questions? Do we not believe that God's big enough to lead us through that? Because it's, it's through that struggle, and this is why I believe, I believe that doubt can strengthen your faith. Because when you struggle through that, when you grind it out, when you, that restlessness, that refusal to accept easy peasy, like happy clappy answers that can be stitched on your grandma's pillow, when we refuse to accept those things and say, no, that's not going to settle with me. And we keep going back, that's where faith is built. That's where it's forged. It's through those moments. You feel alone when you're doubting. You feel like, oh, I don't know. I feel like maybe I'm the only one that has these thoughts. What about Moses? You remember Moses' story in the Old Testament? He almost quit on God multiple times. God spoke to him through the burning bush. He, all the plagues, all the miracles that he'd seen right in front of him. And yet, at one point, he's, after listening to all the whining and the complaining of the Israelites, they're wandering the desert and trying to figure out where in the world are we going, what are we doing? He said, God, I, I can't stand these people anymore. The burden's too heavy. And in Numbers 11, he said, "If this is, this is Moses to God. He says, if this is how you intend to treat me, just go ahead and kill me. Do me a favor and spare me this misery. I mean, that's kind of like, that's kind of like serious. <laughs> Elijah, you think about the great prophet Elijah in the Old Testament. He's this great man of God, great man of faith. And he had this kind of this 
bout with prophets on Mount Carmel. And then, but then he heard that the, the king's wife Jezebel wanted to have him killed. He just went and sat under a little tree in 1 Kings 19. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Just take my life. Just take it. I am no better than my ancestors who've already died. Even the apostle Paul was discouraged. He wrote in 2 Corinthians 1, he says, We were burdened beyond measure above strength, so we despaired even of life. What's the greatest... What's the greatest news that's ever been given to mankind? You know, outside of the resurrection of Christ, I would say that probably the other best news of the world, maybe the best news of the world, was when the angel came to Mary and said, I bring you, I bring you greetings, good news. It will cause great joy for all the people. Guess what, Mary? God's getting ready to do something amazing, incredible, and he's going to use you. This is going to be awesome. Get, get ready for the best news ever. Jesus is going to be born, the Son of God through you. And what were Mary's very first words? She said, how can this be? It's not, a, it's not a problem to have questions. We don't need to be afraid of our questions. If you had moments of doubt, if you've had moments of discouragement, if things aren't making sense to you, you're not alone. But there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. And I think we confuse the two. But doubt and unbelief are very different. You see, doubt is a matter of the mind. It's when we don't understand what God is doing or why. And so I've got questions about that. But unbelief is a matter of the will. It's when I have decided I'm going to refuse to believe God's word and I will not obey what he tells me to do. That's the difference. G. Campbell Morgan, a great evangelist, made this observation. He said that men of faith are always the men who have to confront problems. What kind of problems? He says, well, if you believe in God, you will sometimes wonder why he allows certain things to happen. But keep in mind, there's a difference between doubt and unbelief. Like Habakkuk in the Old Testament, the doubter questions God, may even debate God, but the doubter doesn't abandon God. But unbelief is rebellion against God. It's a refusal to accept what he says and does. Unbelief is an act of the will, while doubt is born out of a troubled mind and a broken heart. In the New Testament, it was a father who brought his son to Jesus. And you, you gotta, you gotta, I mean, your heart just has to go out to this guy. You've got a young son who is terribly sick. And we're told he's demon-possessed, and he's doing all these terrible things. The demon's trying to throw him in fire and water, trying to kill him. The father has just got to be beside himself. I mean, I can't imagine such a horrible, horrible scenario to be in. And this desperate father, he, he, uh, he comes to Jesus, and he says, I brought my son to your disciples. They couldn't heal him. I mean, he's at his wit's end. Can you do something? Will you do something? And, and these are the words in Mark 9. It says, uh, he, he said, The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into the water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us. Help us. You've got to notice this. If you can. That seems pretty minor. Like not a big deal there, right? Can you help us? But there's, there's a lot he's saying there in those few little words. That's why Jesus said in the next verse, What do you mean? If I can. What do you mean by that? Are you doubting? Or are you not believing? 
Are you wondering whether or not I can help you? Or have you made up your mind that this is a waste of time and you think that I'm lying? Is this all for show? What, what is this about? What do you mean if I can? Anything's possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. That's that churning that so many of us feel from time to time. God, I, I, don't, I don't want to abandon you. I, I'm not walking away from my faith here, but i I got to have some help. I don't know what to do. What, what's, what's next? What that father struggled with was unbelief, not doubt. Doubting would say, will you help us? Will you? Will you do something right now? Unbelief says, can you? Like, are you even able to? Are you, who are you? Doubt is, I don't know if God will do something. Unbelief says, I don't know if God can do something. One more example. Peter, one day the disciples are out on the boat. One of my favorite, uh, one of my favorite accounts in the New Testament is when the, the guys, the disciples are out on the boat and Jesus comes walking along on the water. Boy, what I wouldn't give to have been there that day. And he's walking on the water, and they see him, and, and they think it's a ghost or something. They're freaking out. And Peter says, Matthew 14, it says, Peter called out to him and said, Lord, if it's really you, then tell me to come out and walk on the water with you, which is kind of setting himself up for failure there. You know, you ever heard of a lie, you know? But anyway, if it's really you, tell me to come to you and walk on the water. And Jesus said, well, come on. So Peter went over the side of the boat and he walked on the water towards Jesus. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and he began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him and said, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? For years, that little verse bothered me. Really, really bothered me. You have so little faith, why did you doubt me? I saw it as an accusation. I picture the scenario, I'm thinking, Jesus is mad. He's mad at Peter, you know. You know why, why, why do you have such little faith? Why are you doubting me? But then as, I, as I've grown and I've matured in my faith and I've learned more about the character and the nature of Jesus, I thought, you know, Jesus is always loving. He's always full of grace. He is always compassionate. I think I've been reading that question the wrong way. And I asked myself, well, when Jesus said, why did you doubt? What if the question wasn't an accusation? What if it was an invitation? What if he was inviting Peter into something deeper? What if he was not? What if he wasn't condemning him, but he was wanting to do something that would encourage him? Instead of saying things like, Hey, why, why, why did you doubt? You know, what, what did Jesus not do? You know, Jesus didn't sit back and say, well, go ahead and sink there, you loser. <laughs> you know, what, what's the matter with you? You're actually on, you're physically walking on water right now, and now you doubt? Well, then just drown. You know, that'll teach you a lesson or two, won't it? Sink, sink, boy. You know, that's, that's, not, that's not what he did. What did Jesus do? Immediately reached out his hand. Immediately, someone who is loving reaches out their hand. Let me help. Let me help. You know, and when Peter was drowning in his doubt, Jesus came to him and he met him in his doubt. 
He didn't brush him off. He didn't turn his back and say, well, whatever happens to you. I think Jesus in that moment, I think he was smiling. As I read that, I used to read it with that negative tone, you know, in my mind. Like, why did you doubt? Why are you of little faith? I think he, I think he was smiling, saying, dude, Peter, look at what we're doing. Why do you have such little faith, man? Why Do you not remember the loaves and the fishes and how what we did there? Do you not remember that the blind will see, the deaf will hear? Like, do you not remember the, you know, me raising the dead back to life? You don't remember all that stuff, man? Well, you've been with me this whole time. What are you doing, dude? Come on. Come on, man. Let's go. I think he was loving him. I think Jesus was loving Peter. He was encouraging him. He said, hey, why'd you doubt? Don't have little faith from a loving Savior. It wasn't an accusation. It was an invitation. That's why whenever you start to doubt, or someone you love starts to doubt, you don't panic. It's not a time to panic. It's a time to process. It's a time to dialogue. It's time to ask the question, what's the feeling behind the feeling? You know, what, what's, what's at the heart of this? Why am I feeling the things that I'm feeling? It's a time to say, hey, let's talk through this. Let's explore. Help me. You know, Scripture says iron sharpens iron. How can, how can I get through this? Here's my questions. You know, even if there aren't answers, sometimes just getting them out, just something about that helps us process a little bit. Let's keep leaning in. Let's keep stumbling towards Jesus. But the problem is, if we as Christians don't handle the doubt moment well, when somebody asks us a question, when somebody's hurt, and by the way, if this hasn't happened to you, it will. You will have people ask you questions. You will have people ask you. You know, you, you go to church. Tell me this. Why does God let that happen? Tell me, how can you believe in a God that, that says this or allows that or these things, whatever? And if we don't handle those moments well, they will feel like we're judging them in an accusatory way, like the way I used to read Jesus' line. They'll feel that, and unintentionally we may push people away. So what would it look like if when people ask us the hard questions... Instead of just trying to explain it all away, or you know, maybe, well, I remember my on my grandma's pillow it says this, so that must be true. What if instead of that, or instead of getting defensive or panicking, or well, we don't ask those kind of questions. What if we just said, "Man, I sure wish I knew the answer to that question. I wish I knew." That's a tough one. You know, I don't know if we'll ever know this side of heaven. I know one day we may fully know, just as we're fully known. I don't know. But you know what? Maybe in that moment it won't even matter. But let's pray about it together. It's not about, it's not about having all the answers. What do we do with our doubts? We run to Jesus with them. We don't run away from him. We run to him. Our God is certainly big enough to handle any question that you've got. Now, he may not answer it the way that you want it answered in that moment. But he's going to never leave you. He's going to put you on mission say, listen, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. I may not reveal this to you. But here's what I need you to do. And I'm going to be with you every step of the way. Don't freak out because you've got doubts. Keep running to Jesus. Keep going back to the cross 
again and again and again. And remember, it's all because of his sacrifice. But this is important also because there's times when you've sinned and you've failed. And, and you say, well, I'm not worthy to approach God. I hate to break it to you, but you were never worthy enough to approach God. Not on your best day. Not on your best day were you worthy enough to approach God. This has nothing to do with worthiness. Don't let the devil lie to you and make you believe that you've got to stay away from the cross because you're not good enough. You keep on praying. You keep on searching. You keep on trusting. Get on mission. Jesus says, I want you to go. Then let's go. I'm going to be with you, he says. Serve with steadiness and know that he will never leave you. He will never forsake you, even to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you, that you are with us, that you are present. You've not abandoned us. Lord, in the tough moments where the questions hang heavy, help us, Lord, to keep coming back to you. Help us to keep coming back. Help us to keep digging. And even if we're not going to get a resolution, may we just grow in the process. I know that just there are ways that you're strengthening our faith in, in ways that we would never imagine. Lord, I thank you for your spirit that you promise to live in each one of us, to strengthen us and to guide us. Help us to learn to trust, to trust in your Holy Spirit and to know that he's, he's with us and to know that you, are, uh, that you are giving us everything that we need to live the lives that you call us to live. And I thank you most of all for Jesus, for your son who died and gave his life 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 and 